This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Is Cedric Wilson a waiver wire target? Has Andy Isabella reestablished himself after a two-touchdown game? And is Justin Jefferson a must-add? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by DoorDash, Pepsi, and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. Uh, we are recording this as always during the Monday night game, which should be an awesome one. Uh, so I'm a little upset that we're not going to get to talk about that, but I do think some good games this weekend, Matt. Uh, we are now amazingly. Already at the point where we have three weeks behind us. Any just quick thoughts from the weekend? Uh, I think it sucks that players continue to get injured. I mean, obviously that sucks. It's just, you know, it's continuing to happen. Uh, I think in part because they just had limited training camp and ability to really get in football shape. So, um, you know, it's not just that uh, players are at risk of catching COVID or something like that. It's, uh, you know, they're at risk of suffering injuries that we wouldn't expect during a normal season. So that, that part of the NFL season continues to suck. That said, it's great that we still have football. Yeah, I completely agree. And last week, we had some of the biggest names in the game go down. This week, we had a couple injuries, maybe not quite as noticeable, uh, but it looks like Dallas Goddard might miss time with an ankle injury. We've seen Greg Ward kind of step up into a role in that really injured Eagles offense how excited or if Ward is still on the waiver wire in a person's league how aggressively do you think they should be going after him I don't know I mean I'm not that excited so (laughs) I don't know I mean like fab like I don't know 15 percent maybe I just can't imagine a world in which you're actually starting him on a week-to-week basis you know what I mean yeah, I understand what you're saying. So it's kind of one of these where um, though he is a receiver that's out there that definitely could contribute the odds that he's actually getting in your lineup are so low that it, it doesn't really make sense to toss a lot of bidding dollars in on him. Yeah, because you probably have better players anyway. And even if you don't, you have players who are at least more established within their offense. Like their, their production is more projectable with Ward. It just, it seems as if there's a lot that is unknown. So I just, I don't think I would be able to get past like the mental hurdle of putting him in the lineup, even if he deserves a spot in the lineup. Got it. And in relation to Dallas Goddard not being available for a couple of weeks, we don't know exactly, or as of, you know, when I put this show sheet together, I'm not exactly sure how long he's going to be out for. Do you think that we have a situation where there's necessarily this vacated target share that went to Goddard going to like one or two players? Or is this probably just going to get spread around? My personal thinking is that it's probably going to get spread around versus being concentrated into one or two guys. 
Yeah, I think it gets spread around. Um, although I do think we will probably see Ertz uh, get that bump that puts him in the realm where he used to be, yep. you know, because uh, Goddard was significantly eating into his opportunities. And now I think it's just full Ertz for sure. Um, Chris Carson, another player, looks like he could be back in action pretty soon. I don't know if you know anything on Carson since, um, you know, a couple of hours ago. Um, but obviously, if Carson can't play, then you have Carlos Hyde, maybe Travis Homer becoming more, um, you know, interesting options. Any fallout from there, though, that you think we should mention? No, it seemed like a pretty significant injury. But yeah, there are reports that he might be able to go in week four. Uh, so it seems like that was a bullet that was dodged. I'm a little bit pessimistic that he actually will play, but it seems like week five um, is a reasonable assumption at this point. Okay. Uh, Tariq Cohen, unfortunately, out for the season with an ACL tear. Uh, naturally, he was playing behind David Montgomery. Do you think that there is any fantasy implication of this injury, though, that we should be paying attention to? Yeah. If anything, it, uh, I think, means that we might see more targets going to David Montgomery, and maybe we see Corderell Patterson get a little more usage out of the backfield as a receiver. But I think in general, this just is more good news for David Montgomery. Yep, that's kind of what my takeaway was there. Any other injuries that you think we need to mention? I think those were really the the, the major ones coming off of this weekend from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, I mean, those are the big ones, but uh, Deontay Johnson, of course, oh, right, with the concussion. Right, yep. Um, Deshaun Jackson with the hamstring that always seems to be injured. Mike Williams with the hamstring. John Brown with a calf. Uh, Russell Gage with uh, a head injury, which I think is concussive, but not 100% sure there. Uh, and then Jordan Reed, uh, who had been, you know, at least for one game, doing a pretty admirable job of filling in for, uh, filling in for George Kittle. Uh, it looks like he's going to be out for maybe a couple of months. So, uh, and then Chris Godwin also had a hamstring issue. So he's someone to keep an eye on because if he can't go in week four, then uh, I think that means that we will see maybe not like 10 targets for Mike Evans, but you know, like that's what he did in week two when there was no Chris Godwin on the field. So that will be one to keep an eye on. Uh, poor Jordan Reed, man. It just feels like every time yeah. he's on the field, he does something good. And then the poor guy just manages to get hurt again. So not something you like to see um, with George Kittle and his health uncertain. Uh, you know what? Actually, we're going to talk about uh, Brandon Ayuk later. So why don't we just talk about the 49ers once we get to once we get to that bullets uh, before that, though, I want to talk about the Cowboys quickly, specifically Cedric Wilson, seven targets, five catches, 107 yards, had a 40 yard touchdown and a 42 yard touchdown. Any reason to think that we see continued play like this out of Wilson? No, um, no, he had only, I believe, 26 snaps, something like that. So he was still very much behind the other three wide receivers. Uh, he was on the field pretty much when the Cowboys were going to a four wide receiver set. And I don't see them doing that all that often in the future. Um, so as uh, as great as his performance was, I think it's something that probably isn't very predictive of something we should see in the future right and of course you know you still have three other awesome wide receivers 
there with him. And Michael Gallup had the performance that many of us that had drafted him were waiting for. Uh, So that makes sense. Another rookie, Justin Jefferson, led the Vikings with nine targets, seven receptions, 175 yards, and a touchdown. But by far the best whopper on the team and 138 air yards on Sunday. Boy, I don't know if, if people out there saw him actually playing this, but he had a couple of really just fantastic plays. I thought this was really encouraging uh, as far as his prospects go. Given the situation that he is in, I think this seems to me like it could be sustainable. What about you, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not as if this entirely came out of nowhere. Um, it coincided with a move from the slot to the perimeter. So uh, in the first two games, he'd been playing more in the perimeter and Ola B.C. Johnson had been playing outside. This week, they put Chad Beebe in as the primary slot man, and Justin Jefferson played on the outside. And uh, I think he had been sort of typecast as a slot-only receiver because last year at LSU, he played almost all of his snaps in the slot. But um, he has the athletic profile of someone who can play inside and outside. And as a sophomore in his you know like first breakout season, um, he played the majority of his snaps on the outside. So I think he's someone who kind of like Stefan Diggs, who actually he profiled similarly to um, athletically. Uh, I think he can play inside and outside. And it was really encouraging to see him just light it up, running almost all of his routes from the outside. Yeah, it really was. And there was a couple of times, too, where after he caught it, he made really nice plays. And I actually did kind of myself uh, find myself kind of thinking, wow, like he looks like a pretty solid replacement for Diggs here. So I'm pretty excited about him. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> so Arizona, DeAndre Hopkins leads them with uh, 12 targets. Then you have Keyshawn um, with seven. But Andy Isabella converts all four of his targets to receptions, scores two touchdowns. I feel like Isabella, every time people want to quit on him, comes out with another one of these games. What do we make of this, Matt? Yeah, he's awesome. Um, a lot of respect for Larry Fitzgerald, but uh, at some point, that guy is going to go away from the game. And when that happens, Isabella is going to dominate in the slot. And I think he could play outside. Like I think he has the speed for it. But uh, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, who is much wiser, uh, with the game of football, uh, he disagrees. So, you know, <laughs> he's putting Keyshawn Johnson out there at right wide receiver and just rotating Isabella into the slot to give Larry Fitzgerald a break. Um, it's good that they're giving Isabella more opportunities, but I, I really think given how explosive he has been, uh, it would behoove them to put him on the outside and to put Keyshawn Johnson back on the bench. Yeah. Um, interesting thing, right? Through three games, Andy Isabella only at 11.8 expected points. We still haven't seen that high volume. He's behind Christian Kirk on the team right now in expected points. I feel like, though, that has to change. It kind of feels like you're in the same camp. And Cliff Kingsbury, I think, feels different than some of these coaches that we've seen before where they have these really talented guys on the bench that we'd like them to use but just don't get in. So hopefully as things develop, we start to see Isabella get back into the fold. Uh, Before we move off of him, From a dynasty perspective, though, Matt, has he recouped any of that value that he may have lost from when he first entered the league, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, But, I mean, imagining that the people, a lot of people who invested in him early on were probably people who were already fairly sharp and already kind of uh, interested in him for the long term. Yeah. So I'm imagining a lot of those people never got rid of him because 
one, they were just, they were, you know, invested with the like endowment effect on him. But then two, like they just knew they could get nothing for him because his market value was non-existent. So um, I, I feel like he probably has like a, an illiquid market. So like maybe his market value has increased, but I don't know how much of a market there was for him to begin with. Yeah, it's a perfectly fair point. I think that uh, definitely makes sense. So we have a lot more to get through, but before we do, we're going to take a quick minute here to hear from our sponsors. You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose whatever you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, Fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day. No matter how you watch, me, I am super excited to continue to watch Cam Newton lead this New England Patriots team to another Super Bowl. And Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Hello, folks. Colin Kelly here from Rotoviz Overtime, a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a Rotoviz NFL pass right now on the rotoviz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRadio at checkout or by going to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can rate and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, Road of His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. So Rex Burkhead certainly helped uh, a lot of DFS players out there, I have to imagine, win some money yesterday. Two rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown. Fantastic game from Burkhead. I personally think, though, that we have to keep in mind that James White is not available for New England currently. I think that once he gets back into the mix with Burkhead, with Sony Michelle, and we're also seeing the rookie getting involved as well, that you're not going to be able to, as is always the case with Patriots running backs, know when to expect games like this. So I wouldn't bank on it 
Personally, for me, if I was in dire need of running backs and he was available, I would spend a max of like 15% of my free agent bidding dollars right now. Are you in a different place, Matt, or do you kind of agree with that assessment? Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, I don't think there's any way that you can depend on him as long as James White is active. Uh, White wasn't active for the past two games. Um, so, you know, we obviously saw a big boost in usage and production, but that's not something that anyone is really expecting moving forward. Like the, the, the worst part about Rex Burkhead the past four years has been that you can never predict when a Rex Burkhead game is going to happen. Know, like yeah. you know that he has talent. The big question is: Is he going to be used in a manner that will allow him to produce? Uh, you know, because they they viewed him as a supplementary, a well-rounded but a supplementary back for his entire time in New England. Um, he does lots of things well, but they never have like fully wanted to use him as a lead back, um, and so you've never been able to depend on him. Uh, and that's going to be the way it is when James White returns. Yeah, Burkhead's one of those perfect examples of just kind of the way that the team has operated, which is they're looking for specific things that can players can do and do really well. And, and in the case of Burkhead, he's probably been the most well-rounded back that they've had, but he doesn't have that one skill set other than being super well-rounded that they've been able to really point to, I feel like. Um, which has kind of held him back to some degree, but has yielded these amazing games here and there. Uh, so actually, if you go back to like 2017 um, and you look at his games, he actually has 18 RB1 performances, uh, but only 15% of his games have been RB2 performances, which just kind of speaks to the way that his usage has fallen. So unfortunately, just a player that you can't rely on, but a player that it looks like fantasy managers will be able to rely on at least for this season is James Robinson so I want to take a couple of minutes Matt and kind of get your thoughts on how impressed you've been with Robinson what you think we might expect for the rest of the year if he can keep on this pace and then also from the long-term perspective if there's any chance that James Robinson this undrafted free agent is going to have sustained success in the NFL uh, just to kind of highlight some of the numbers 43 rushes so far, 210 yards. That's about five yards a carry nearly. Three rushing touchdowns. He's got 10 of 11 targets for 129 receiving yards. Right now, in overall PPR rank, he ranks fifth among running backs and is averaging, uh, what's that come out to per game? Oh my gosh, man, 20.6 points per game. Should we have seen this coming also? Because I'm going to say seen we it, probably shouldn't have. Seen it coming, no. <laughs> um but uh, I mean, smart people—not not me, but other you know, smart people—they uh, <laughs> you know highlighted Robinson as a guy coming out of college. The thing is, I I never want to, and I'll just say, like waste my time with guys who are coming from small schools and who aren't going to be drafted, because there are lots of those guys, uh, and very few of them ever do anything of consequence in the NFL. Um, so, you know, that just means that I have a blind spot to guys like James Robinson. Um, that said each game he has outstanding production just puts him closer to the path of having that job for a long time. Um, so we're three games into it. He's looked like a very competent lead back, you know, like been very competitive with the guys who were drafted 
in you know the top 100 picks in this class not necessarily in terms of like his athleticism or anything like that but like in terms of the numbers that he produces he's been really good um and so I don't I haven't seen anything so far in terms of like his field on the play or anything that the team has done that would make me think that he is not slated to be the locked in lead back for the rest of the year and if that happens like I don't know why the team would change course in the future, like next year or the year after that. Like if a guy has a job for a year and he does a pretty good job with it, I mean, there's, there's a lot of like institutional reasons for him just to keep that job. So man, I mean, in dynasty, I don't know, like each week I just like make a mental note of like, okay, when I update my projections and my rankings, like I need to move him up. I would say right now he's in dynasty, probably like RB 24 at the lowest, maybe a little bit higher, maybe more like RB 18. And like, if he has another good week, I mean, he's going to be like RB 16, RB 14. Um, I mean, we're talking about a young guy who's getting it done on the field with a bad team. That was the, honestly, another big factor in the redraft decision, not to like be all in on James Robinson. Um, I just thought that this team was so bad that it almost wouldn't matter who was in the backfield, especially because I thought, uh, I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know, like the ghost of Darren Sproles returning or something, but like, I thought Chris, uh, Chris Thompson would Mm -hmm. get much more usage uh, out of the backfield than he's gotten as a receiver and that that would, and this team would be so bad that they would be throwing a lot and that would limit what Robinson would be able to do. I didn't anticipate that the team would be good enough for him to get the number of carries he's gotten or that he would be used this much in the receiving game. So wrong all the way around. I was so, uh, yeah, I mean, each week he performs and he just has to keep on moving up the rankings. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really crazy just to see how, um, well he's been able to do especially uh compared to what you would have expected probably of any average type of running back um moving into this Jaguars team uh so just some, some quick background information because I don't know if we've ever really gone into it he's 5'9 219 so that's a really really high BMI um 40 yard dash pretty slow 4.64 really the only two metrics that he scored very well in were burst score um, and he put up 24 reps on the bench. Now, the interesting thing here, though, Matt, is if you go to player profiler and you look at some of his his metrics, man, he's actually doing really well. Not that you wouldn't expect it, but you might not expect yards created per touch for him to rank number six. Uh, his evaded tackles, number nine, breakaway runs, number six, juke rate, Number 10, these are really, really impressive numbers that kind of just speak to he's been getting things done and not just compiling, which, you know, tough to compile um, in an offense like Jacksonville's. But I mean, it's really confusing because I think for a lot of people, the natural question is, do you sell high? Personally, my opinion is I think you do sell high because if Robinson is able to keep at this pace. Um, I'm not sure that you're going to be able to get much more than you would at the current value just because of the background, right? Unless you are holding him for the real long term, which, you know, maybe that's part of the question. But, I mean, to me, 
in three years, what what are the odds that he's averaging 20 points per game? You know what I'm saying? Or, or do you think that this kind of way that I'm framing it in my mind is flawed? I don't know. I mean, he's he's producing now. Like one of the most valuable things in in all of football, I'd say even Dynasty, is a running back who is producing right now. And if you have that with him, it's almost like free money. And if the rest of your team is competent, that might be enough to propel you to a championship. So like I, I understand. And in general, I would say anytime you can trade a, um, I don't know, unpedigreed is the wrong word, but a, a running back who's producing now, but who doesn't have much draft capital behind him. Anytime you can trade that guy for like a wide receiver who does have a lot of draft capital invested in him and who's also young, it it's probably the smart move to do that. Uh, so if you can make a trade like that, I think it makes sense, but I don't know. Like I, I don't think it's all that hard to envision a scenario in which Robinson is actually a really good player for like three to five years. Wow. Okay. Um, so to kind of put a bow on this right now, are you trading? If you're a Cam Akers owner and somebody wants to trade you James Robinson for Cam Akers, are you making that move? No, I'm keeping Cam Akers. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Captain goes down with the ship. All right. Um, what about, um, Joshua Kelly? Are you trading, uh, James Robinson or are you trading Joshua Kelly for James Robinson? Uh, no, I think I would actually prefer Joshua Kelly. Okay. Cause he's still getting a lot of usage. Yep. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I have a question for you, Matt. What is going on in Chicago with Jimmy Graham? Is he all of a sudden a fantasy star again? Two touchdowns yesterday, uh, seven in overall PPR, nine in PPR per game, has seven red zone targets. Nick Foles is coming into the mix now for the Bears. What is going on? I don't know. It hurts my spirit um, to think of of Jimmy Graham as someone who's still out there playing football. Um, But he's being targeted at the goal line and in the end zone in the red zone. And as long as he's getting those high leverage targets, he is going to be someone who um, is fantasy viable in a very touchdown dependent manner. So that means he will be inconsistent. There will be some games in which he just gives you, you know, like one fantasy point, but then there will be other games when he scores two touchdowns. And, you know, it's not that it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's just, it will be very hard to predict when those performances are going to occur. So he's more of a kind of like dart throw or like desperation streaming type of tight end. Like, I don't think he's the type of person you would actually want to have in your lineup, like week in and week out that you have to depend on. Yeah. All right. That's perfectly fair. Um, It is crazy though. um, Especially because, I had some teams where I uh, dropped Graham, and um, now I'm really wishing that I had held on to him. But more importantly, let's get back to talking some more rookie-wide receivers. So T. Higgins, good game on Sunday. Saw nine targets, five wrecks, 40 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns. You know, you're not going to expect to get two touchdowns every week from him, but playing with Joe Burrow, you, you have, I feel... Like the possibility now that, uh, you know, A.J. Green is not the player that he once was, T. Higgins. Um, 
is he going to be fantasy viable the rest of the season or is this week kind of a flash in the pan? Oh, he's, he's fantasy viable. Um, maybe not right away. I think he's a good stash and I think in spots he will be fantasy viable in the second half of the season. Um, he was drafted with the number 33 pick overall. So like almost a first rounder. He's young. He was productive in college uh, in multiple seasons. I really like the way his game translates to the NFL. Like I think he's a, this is going to sound bad because the, of the player I'm comparing him to, but like what Auden Tate did for that team last year, like I think he's basically like the much, much better Auden Tate. Uh, and now John Ross was uh, inactive in week three. Like he's not factoring into their plans anymore. Like it's, yep. it's T Higgins job out there. And we saw AJ Green not be targeted nearly as much. And I think that's because Higgins is out there. Uh, I think they have some overlapping skill set. And I think, you know, with AJ Green looking like he's running in quicksand, more and more opportunities are just going to go Higgins' direction as the season progresses. So very interested in what he's going to do in the second half of this season. And then especially next year when uh, AJ Green presumably will not be there. Yeah. And I think it's important to note too, 14.6 air yards per target for T Higgins. We had talked before, at least I think it was you and I that had talked about uh, that AJ Green was still seeing a tremendous amount of air yards, but I think it's going to start to become apparent to the team that Higgins is the one that they should be giving more of these AJ Green looks to now. So I expect that to continue. And like you, I'm really excited. The other thing is T Higgins, had he participated in the combine, I think there would have been a lot more talk about him and uh, people might have been even a little bit more ahead of this. So I'm feeling really good about him. Let's talk about Brandon Ayuk. Also had a rushing touchdown uh, this past weekend, but additionally, eight targets, five wrecks, 79 receiving yards. This is a team that needs wide receivers to step up. Um, how encouraged are you by this performance, by seeing them give him three rushing attempts? And do you think that um, Ayuk is one of the best options right now as far as rookies go for the 2020 season? We're really focusing on the rookies. I'm very interested in this class. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's hard to know what he will do when Debo Samuel gets back because you think like a lot of those carries, you know, they kind of natively belong to uh, Debo Samuel. But yeah. um, Ayuk did get carries in college, um, both at Arizona State and also uh, at JUCO, um, where he was you know, like an outrageously productive player. Um, so he does have that overall like well-rounded skill set. Um, he did, I think, return punts and kicks. Uh, for touchdowns in college. So like he has that, um, that special teams ability that translates to overall production in the NFL. Uh, so I'm, I'm really intrigued by him. And the thing is, he's not like just a gadget player. Um, the way that like, if you talk about a guy like, Oh, he can carry the ball and he returns kicks. Like you might think, okay, like, well, this, this feels very Tavon Austin esque. Like, is this guy an actual wide receiver? But if you look at just like his routes, like what he did when he was playing the receiver position, uh, he stacked up very well his final year uh, to the best wide receivers in the class in terms of like the yards that he was getting on a per route basis, on a per snap basis, what he was doing against man coverage. Um, I think there's a lot to be encouraged about 
with Brandon Ayuk, um, especially with Debo out. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking to acquire. Okay, um, who would you be more interested in, him or Justin Jefferson? <laughs> Man, um, honestly, maybe Ayuk. Okay. Because I think he has the opportunity to be like the number one receiver in an offense that could still be pretty good. Um, whereas Jefferson, like, I don't think he has that within his range of outcomes. I think that offense in Minnesota is going to be pretty bad for the duration. And there's still going to be a ton of targets that go to Adam Thielen. Mm-hmm. So like at best, I think Jefferson is the number two option in an offense that doesn't inspire. Okay. I hear that point. But how often did it feel like that same type of story in Minnesota and then Thielen and Diggs both started being or both had good seasons and did have times where they were kind of overlapping in being good? Now, that's not to say that Jefferson is Diggs already, uh, but does that um, hold any weight in your analysis or do you think that that needs to be ignored? I think that needs to be ignored because some of the production that Diggs and Thielen were getting, it was like in earlier seasons when they were actually passing the ball more. And then last year, like we didn't see that. Like we didn't see Thielen and Diggs do well at the same time. And the production that Diggs did acquire is done on outrageous efficiency (laughs) that I think we shouldn't expect out of out of like any player in general, but then especially a rookie. Yeah, perfectly fair. All right. So um, let's get back, though, to closing out here on San Francisco, because I think that we should probably also talk about Jeff Wilson. So you have Tevin Coleman on the IR, Mostert dealing with an injury. Jarek McKinnon may have gotten a little banged up um, in the game yesterday as well. I'm actually not sure what. um, Hold on. So let's see. Upper rib injury, right. Um, it looks like he could be back for week four. Jeff Wilson, though, um, had 12 attempts, 15 rushing yards, but did find the end zone. Also caught three of three targets for 54 receiving yards and had a touchdown. Um, is he a guy that you think teams in need of a running back should be going after? Yes, uh, I, I, I do. My dynasty team the main one that i care about is so depleted at running back that i actually did go after jeff wilson last week uh and that worked out not to say that that's going to work out every week but um he does have a very carved out role of being like a goal line back and you know in an offense that has the ability to put up points uh as long as raheem mostert is out and tevin coleman is out uh jeff wilson Looks like he's going to have a role. Uh, And Jerick McKinnon, uh, as dynamic as he is, hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy. As you said, he's already kind of getting a little bit nicked up. Uh, I still expect McKinnon to be the lead back there. But uh, for much of the Shanahan regime in San Francisco, we have seen him use multiple backs. Uh, And so, yeah, if you are desperate and with so many running back injuries out there, I think there is a lot of desperation. You could do a lot worse than Jeffrey Wilson. Yeah, completely. You know, and I have a lot of teams that I had Cohen um, on and with him gone, I think that Wilson's one of those guys that not only because I need running backs, but you know, we're already seeing 
struggles with the health on that team. I think it makes sense to get him because the Niners have shown us that, like you said, they're willing to use two running backs and it's a team that can support good running back performances. So I definitely think that he's worth going after. Um, Let's transition, Matt. We are going to play a quick game here called Are You Panicking? And this is basically, I want to get your thoughts on each player in relation to where people likely drafted them in their leagues if they should now be really panicking that they're not going to get a return on that investment and then taking that a step further if a player has actually become droppable. Uh, There's a couple more names I'm going to add to the list that we're looking at here that have kind of come up while we're talking, but let's start off with Austin Hooper, who's at just 4.4 points per game. Yes, people should panic. Is is that the question? Is that what I'm supposed to say? Panic or not panic? Yes, tell them if they should panic. Uh, Yes, you should panic. Um, I think he's droppable. Um, but I mean, maybe at this point there aren't all that many good, uh, tight ends on waivers, but I think there probably still are some guys out there. Um, but yeah, that offense, uh, funnels through the running back position. Uh, they don't play all that many plays per game. Uh, and then when they are throwing the ball, Kareem Hunt is still getting a lot of these shorter targets. Uh, and then Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are getting the rest. And so, you know, there's just, like Austin Hooper, I think has like a 13% target share on the season, which like is not a high number, uh, especially in an offense that isn't throwing the ball all that much anyway. So yes, uh, you should be panicking. And I would say the bigger problem is you shouldn't have drafted him in the first place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it also raises, I think ultimately for me, a question of what Cleveland was even doing, especially because if it, David and Joku hadn't gotten hurt, I mean, you could make the case that they really didn't need Hooper in any large capacity but let's also look at things like this who would you rather have right now dalton schultz or austin hooper <laughs> dalton schultz who would you rather have moelle cox or austin hooper Ali cox i mean right like he, so yeah this is he the has party. the ability of like if he gets that job he could be really good uh hooper has the job and he's not doing anything with it yeah. Who would you rather have, Jordan Akins or Austin Hooper? Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Austin Hooper, probably. Isn't this yeah. wild, though, that like there's Logan Thomas or Austin Hooper that you could actually have these these questions about, you know? Probably, yeah, probably Logan Thomas. Yeah, it's wild. All right, we can, we can move on here. All right, this one I'm really interested in. DeAndre Swift yesterday, two targets, zero rushes behind carry-on, and all day, Adrian Peterson in opportunity. What is going on? Are you panicking on DeAndre Swift? Yeah, um, absolutely. He's he's not getting the workload. And the the best part about him entering the league was that he was you know expected to be right away uh, an above average at worst, like at at the absolute worst, an above average pass catching back. And then in his first NFL game. He literally dropped the game-winning pass. And, like, I don't think the team has, like, forgiven him yet. Like, I think the usage that he's seen, or rather, like, not seen, is because of that. Um, And with Adrian Peterson there, and the team, like, reverting back to, like, you know, 1980s bully ball (laughs) type of of, of game plans, I I just don't see path to a lot of fantasy viability or DeAndre Swift, like it's not that he's getting on the field and then they're just not giving him the ball. He's not even getting on the field. So like we are a couple of steps removed from, uh, from fantasy production. 
Yeah, man. I mean, this really is wild. The impact that uh, just adding Peterson into this team has had in those couple of weeks before the season. So like, it really sucks if you were in, you know, going heavy on Swift and best ball, even grabbing him in redraft leagues. But what I am enjoying though, is the fact that right now in opportunities, DeAndre Swift and Carrion Johnson are tied because this goes back to uh, the demands of the pod father for a apology about Carrion Johnson being on the R zero running back list. And I'm thinking it's possible that we see these two finish the season with Carrion Johnson having more opportunity and what a glorious day that will be. I mean, I, I guess if you're into glory of two guys doing nothing and getting beaten out by Adrian Peterson, but sure. Yeah. Um, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hold a lot of glory in it. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back to Minnesota, Irv Smith, 1.13 fantasy points per game. Not that anybody was going out and really drafting Irv Smith highly, but a lot of us were hoping he could have a breakout. Uh, are we panicking in the sense of should we even hold him onto a roster? Is it okay to cut bait with him at this point? Oh, uh, I mean, I think you've made a massive mistake if you haven't already dropped him. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, what about Evan Engram? Just 6.87 points per game. Uh, you know, playing in that Giants offense, I think that a lot of people are starting to panic. Should they be? He got garroted, you know? Like, that's that's what happened. Um, that offense has been a train wreck. Uh, it would be a miracle, I think, if Jason Garrett keeps his job for the entire season. So, like, I want nothing to do with any of the people in that offense, and that includes Evan Ingram. Yeah, so I also had Daniel Jones on this list, just 14.72 points per game. He ranks 31st right now in PPR per game among quarterbacks. Also does rank 7th in expected points, which it's interesting to see that big of a delta between where he is and what his EP would have him at. Daniel Jones, clearly given your answer, people need to panic, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, although in all fairness, um, like we knew that the opening stretch to the season was going to be bad for him. That was one of the main reasons why it wasn't smart to draft him in the first place in, in like regular redraft leagues. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I would say it has been, it has been every bit as bad as we thought it would be and much worse. Yeah, it's like if you want to make a case that you're going to be a good, successful quarterback, uh, getting paired with Jason Garrett, I do not think is something that is going to help you do it. Uh, and then if you look at uh, his schedule, um, the only thing you can point to is that it does start to get a little bit better. There's games against Dallas, Washington, Philly uh, that are uh, streaming um strength the schedule tool does like so hopefully things can start to improve for him a little bit rob Gronk here's has, oh, go sorry ahead. here's yep. here's one thing maybe to think about like all of the players that we're mentioning i do think that it is fair to be worried about them um if you've invested in them but you've already borne like brunt of it like it it might get better from here and i would say like a lot of these guys like, well, not, not Austin Hooper, but you know, like DeAndre Swift, like maybe he's a really good buy low. You know, yeah. like it's like some of these guys, they will get better from here. But the thing is, even if they do get better, it might not still be good enough. 
to where you can count on them and put those guys in your lineups. So I don't know, like on the one hand, like I think most of these guys you should be panicking about and like hopefully just avoided them to begin with. But (laughs) if you didn't invest in them, they might actually be guys that you should try to acquire on the cheap. So Matt Friedman's advice is go back in time and just not draft these guys. Well, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about guys I yeah, have zero no. exposure to. Like, I don't, right. I don't know what to say. Like, yeah. like I'm not panicking about these guys <laughs> because I don't have them. Okay, but so this does bring me to, I think, what would be an important just kind of in-season management type of discussion to have. Now, listeners that have listened to us for a couple of years have probably heard us talk about this before. But as you were talking, it made me think about two things. One being kind of the sunk cost fallacy, which is this idea that um, if you have spent significant capital on something that you just try to keep holding it to eventually get value out of it. Um, it's a little more in depth than that, but from a fantasy perspective, it's this thought that just because you took, you took a guy in round four and you're worried about what you might be losing in the future. Cause you haven't extrapolated any, or you haven't extracted any value out of him, but it can often be at the detriment of your team because if you let him go and you bring in another player, the odds are, probably high that that player who is doing okay is going to end up giving you more production than this player that you thought was going to be good and has been really bad. Um, So there's this question of when do you give up on the guy and that you shouldn't get anchored to that sunk cost. You already spent that pick on him. You're not going to get back that value. So what you need to look at is perfect example here would be DeAndre Swift. I think if you drop DeAndre Swift, it should be for a player that realistically has a greater opportunity of getting involved in his offense. So my my thought process here would be like, I'm not going to get anchored to Swift if I spent a fifth or a sixth round pick on him because it's become clear that he shouldn't have been a fifth or a sixth round pick. But that doesn't mean that I'm just going to drop him if there isn't any player out there on my waiver wire where there's a player that could find himself in a situation that looks better, or if there isn't a player that can get himself into a situation that looks better than Swift's, given what we know. I feel like I'm not doing a good job of explaining what I'm getting at, Matt, so why don't you take this over? No, I think you actually did a really good job with okay. that. And I, I think that's that's right. Like, Even if Andre Swift or whoever it is, even if you overdrafted a guy or for you know some reason uh, that you couldn't have anticipated, he's just not going to produce the way that you thought he would. That doesn't mean you should drop him. You should drop him if there's someone else on waivers worth dropping him for, but you shouldn't drop him just because you're upset at looking at this guy who's not going to return the value you expected. Um, so there's kind of like this, this balancing. Uh, I would also kind of add into this that... Um, there's, you know, it's kind of a balancing act between uh, like the sunk cost fallacy and then like weighing your prior assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, it's, it's hard. I think it's hard to get that balance right um, because you, you do want to move quickly off of guys. I think if something radical has changed in their assumptions, uh, sorry, in, in their uh, situation, like something that has destroyed the assumptions that went into the investment thesis. Mm-hmm. Then I think in those instances, it makes sense to move off of a guy pretty quickly. 
But if everything is still like pretty much intact, uh, like if he's still getting the usage, it's just like he's been on the wrong side of variance, whatever it is. But if like all of the reasons why you invested in him still hold, then you should continue to hold that guy and shouldn't move off of him. And like, I don't think it's an instance of like the sunk cost fallacy. I think it's just, you need to, you need to examine your assumptions, make sure that they are still correct. Uh, and then move forward knowing that you're acting in a rational way. Yeah, perfect. It, it, so that that kind of gave me like two thoughts off of it. The first being Swift, and I think running backs are hard examples on this because it's hard just to find running backs that look like they are going to have opportunity. And Swift, you know, right now things aren't going his way, but who knows if Peterson has to miss time, all of a sudden Swift might get propelled back into a pretty decent, decent workload. So it almost holds, or it's easier to get better examples at wide receiver where, you know, there, there's many more options that are going to be analogous, right? You're not going to be like, you know, crying over anything if you'd spent, you know, a significantly high pick on Sterling Shepard and you don't think that, you know what I mean? Um, but I think the other place that sunk, uh, that sunk cost really comes in is people feeling like they need to keep putting the players that they spent high capital on into their starting lineup. Like yes. if a player isn't producing it, like who cares what, what pick you spend on him? Like get him out of your lineup. Even if you're not going to drop him, he doesn't need to be hogging your roster. Like don't keep putting him in hoping that you're going to catch that game where he goes off. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of like the distinction between like, there's sort of like the mantra of like, start your studs. And like, I, I get that. And I generally agree with that as long as like all of the assumptions for why that guy is on your roster still hold. Um, so yeah, but yeah, the biggest sunk cost, um, is holding a guy and putting him in your lineup, even though he doesn't deserve to be in your lineup anymore. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so player that I did want to ask you about Joe Mixon, what are your thoughts on him? We've seen him start slow before there's people using first round picks on him. I don't think that anybody that spent the first on him is feeling like they've gotten that investment back. Um, though it's, you know, a tricky thing. If you look at some of those advanced metrics, you can point to him being a good running back. Those things are still there. You know, he's had 30% of the opportunities in Cincinnati from an expected points perspective. He's at 43 expected points. Unfortunately, though, he's at negative 15 in fantasy points over expectation. How panicked should owners be on Joe Mixon? Uh, a medium amount of panic. Um, so, um, nice middle ground there. Yeah. Uh, so we, we do rankings every week at action network and someone tweeted, I think Sean corner asking like, why does Friedman hate Joe Mixon or like, what did Mixon ever do to Friedman? Uh, cause I had him ranked, you know, like in the twenties or something like that. And, uh, but it wasn't a bad, I mean, it wasn't bad. Like that wasn't, a, that was an accurate ranking. Yep. Uh, and it has nothing to do with his, uh, his running back usage. Like he's getting the carries. It's just that the offensive line in front of him is so bad that he's not very efficient with his carries, which that isn't all that big of a deal as long as he's getting volume. But he, the, the, big, <laughs> the bigger thing is that he's not getting any touchdowns. So like they're not giving him goal line opportunities and 
then he's not getting any receiving opportunity or limited receiving opportunities because Giovanni Bernard uh, has persisted. Like he's just going out there and stealing a lot of the opportunities that people, I think, just maybe naively uh, assumed would go to Joe Mixon. Um, so, like, I understand the talent that Mixon has, but um, yeah, it's just it's an overall bad situation because of the offense he's in. And honestly, like, it feels kind of reminiscent of James Robinson. Like, what is happening with Mixon is what I would have expected to happen with Robinson, where a guy is like clearly the lead back uh, in terms of the running workload, but he's not scoring any touchdowns and he's not getting much usage uh, as a receiving back. Like that's, you know, obviously not what's happened with Robinson, totally what has happened with Mixon. Uh, and I mean, we, I think know this historically, if a running back is getting lots of carries, but he's not getting targets and he's not getting touchdowns, then that's just like a whole bunch of like empty calories that he's eating. Like there's no protein in there and that's not something that's going to help you win. Yeah, which is why a player like Joe Mixon in the preseason has to be viewed very differently than a player like Alvin Kamara because Kamara can split a lot of work with Latavius Murray doesn't need to have 20 rushing attempts a game, but he's going to be put in situations where you can rack up those fantasy points. And then he's also playing with an offensive line that allows him to utilize his talent. There's enough other players in that offense that he can kind of do his thing. Whereas Mixon, like you said, if he's not getting those touchdown opportunities, it just makes it an uphill battle for him all season to try to get those points. And I, I do think that people kind of underestimated how good Giovanni Bernard actually is. Um, which, you know, definitely has kind of hampered some of the opportunity for Mixon. The final player I want to ask you about, Matt, is Rob Gronkowski. Now, he did get six out of seven over the weekend, uh, six receptions on seven targets, had been used sparingly before that game. I do think it's important to note only has two red zone targets. That's just 10% of team targets. Again, a player where I don't think people were drafting him highly enough that, um, you know, like really panicking is the way you might frame it, but in comparison to what people might have expected, should they be panicking? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess if you drafted him as like a top 12 uh, tight end or, you know, like even I'd say like tight end 14, tight end 15, uh, yeah, you should probably be looking to divest and add someone off of waivers, you know, like whether that's Logan Thomas, if he's still available or like whoever there, there have to be better guys available on waivers. Okay. Um, are there any players since basically all of the names that I've mentioned here, we've established you aren't panicking because you didn't invest into them. Are there any players that you are heavily invested in for which you are panicking? Yeah, I mean Cam Cam Akers. Uh, I mean that's fairly obvious, but yep. like there's there's no panic because like it's done. You know what I mean? Oh like, boy, you you can't can't panic if you're dead. So uh, I mean Akers is injured. Um, Daryl Henderson uh, or Darrell Henderson, however you pronounce it, has looked uh, really good in his two games as the de facto lead back for the Rams. Um, even though Akers has more draft capital invested in him, I think he's going to have a very uphill battle uh, to reclaim workload 
when he comes back, um, you know, like if he comes back, whenever that is. So yeah, the acres, the acres dream feels very dead right now. Um, and then I would also say, even though James Connor has been productive for the past two weeks, um, there's a small amount of panic with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily panic, but just sort of like alarm because he hasn't really been all that efficient, like from a success rate. Uh, like he's kind of relied on some big chunk gains. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's not very sustainable, um, but he is getting a massive share of the workload. He still gets used in the receiving game and he's the locked in goal line back. So uh, even though I wish he actually looked a little bit better and was more uh, consistent with his rushing production, you can't really complain too much because uh, there aren't, I don't know, even like 10 backs who have a better workload than he does. Yeah. Um, I am curious though. So Anthony McFarland Jr. got a uh, couple of carries. Um, he looked good. Sunday. Yeah, he looked pretty good. At this point, if you're looking for the player to own in Pittsburgh at the running back position behind Connor, is it Snell or do you think it's McFarland or is it too hard to tell? Uh, I think it's a little bit too hard to tell, but I would would lean McFarland just because um, they gave him the first crack last week. Now, like that doesn't mean that I want to totally upend everything that we heard about Benny Snell uh, coming into the season, and you know some of some of what he did as a rookie, and then what he did in Week One. But uh, I mean, McFarland looked good, and they gave him the opportunity. And I mean, if a guy takes advantage of the opportunity you have to think that he kind of establishes at least a foothold for himself. So I lean McFarland right now. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, the other interesting thing that I thought with Benny Snell was in that first game um, where he had to kind of fill in for Connor and put up like 113 yards, the very next game gets like just three attempts, which I think speaks to how A, Pittsburgh just doesn't want to operate with a committee. And then also it's just, um, you know, that is not a good sign for Snell. Absolutely agree. Uh, they, they don't want a committee. I think it's sort of like a combination of, they don't want a committee. Maybe they weren't as pleased with Snell as they wanted to be. And maybe there's just some sort of loyalty to James Connor, you know, like even if they wanted not to go with a committee, maybe they'd be more willing to do it if they didn't like their lead back quite so much. Yeah. All right, so I think on that note, we can close for this episode. I'm just going to toss out a couple of notable names from the GLSP that you might want to keep in mind as you try to play the waiver wire this week. It really likes Hunter Renfro versus Buffalo, Greg Ward versus San Francisco, Preston Williams versus Seattle, Randall Cobb versus Minnesota. No surprises at running back at tight end. It likes Caden Smith versus the Rams. Uh, at quarterback, Jared Goff versus the Giants, and it also likes Joe Burrow versus the Jaguars. That does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online, DoorDash, and Pepsi for sponsoring the show. Uh, please rate, review, and make sure to subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.
The wait is over. Finally, football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Every day, head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts.